Have any of you gone to your children and told them there's only just about, I mean, only about 300 more days till Christmas? <laughs> so that they could be placing their hope that it's coming soon? I mean, my guess is you would probably say, no, that would be cruel and unusual punishment, and it's not allowed in the Constitution. Because you don't want your children asking you every day, now, just 299 now? Just 298? See, that would be stupid. But sometimes we do put our hope in things that we hope will get accomplished. I'm hoping by the end of March, all of my library is back in my new office, which means I want every book in the place where it belongs for a change. I'm hoping that I start new habits so that I'll be able to see the top of my desk for the rest of my life. Joan is going, ain't going to happen, and, and I get that. I, I'm hoping that I'm starting a new pattern that has now lasted three days, okay? So there's a good chance that it will happen. But on the other side, we have to realize that we... This may not be a hope, but, but you can see it coming on the horizon. Maybe somebody that you really love and care about, you have pretty good knowledge that they won't make it through the rest of the year, that he or she will be with Jesus. Maybe others of you, you're thinking, maybe this would be the year that I find somebody that really does care about me, not just for a cup of coffee, but for the rest of my life. And maybe some of us are saying, you know, I've been saving for this big purchase. It's coming up. I've had my eye on this thing for so long. I just, I just can't wait to make it my own. We can hold out hope for a while. Any of you think you could hope for the same thing for about 40 years? That's a long time. Half a lifetime for most of us. When a human hopes, there's a vision for the future, and we say that vision is so important to us that it's worthy of our trust. It may be a promise that you are hoping for from a person that you trust. It may be a prayer that you have been giving to God and you're hoping this will be the season in which you'll answer. Maybe you read a book and you got a quote from it and you said, I, you know, that, that quote is just motivating my life right now. Uh, maybe it's a verse in the Bible that you have learned and, and you've memorized and you're just counting on that verse. You write it down, you dream about that vision, that hope that you have and you find that it can motivate you and, in, in terms of your inner spirit throughout the day. But could something be hoped for for 40 years? Boy, that's a long time. When you think about it, 40 years, boy, that's a long time. But when I say 40 years, the reason I bring that up is that is about how long the Hebrew children were wandering in the wilderness. They were given 40 years to straighten their lives out and to allow one whole generation to die off. That generation had to die off because of worshiping idols. And God said, for that, the, the, you know, the reward or the punishment, whatever you want to call it, means you will not enter the promised land. I bring that up because this new generation that, uh, that was going to go into the promised land never was there when they crossed the Red Sea, or at least they were very young. That new generation had been... Uh, walking with Moses, uh, 
present and, and, and keeping as best as they could the, the law of Moses and, and obeying it. And it was a different generation. They didn't remember what it was like to be in Egypt. I bring this up also because I want you to understand when we go to the Old Testament, the reason, one of the reasons I love the Old Testament is not only does it show a consistent God who is consistent all the way through Scripture, but it also shows the various ways in which God works. I get clues for how God is working in my life as I read the Scripture. And I realize how he's working in other lives or in the lives of nations. I get clues as I go into scripture and I realize that though God is very consistent, his ways are so various. But sometimes they repeat. Sometimes there's parallels. And I want to take you this morning to the idea that there are parallels for the Jews entering the promised land and for us coming into our new facility. Number one, we didn't have to wait 40 years. I've only been here 18 I think others have been here maybe 24, maybe that long. But that's a long time to be thinking. This facility does not meet our long-term needs. What can we do about it? I'm turning this morning to the book of Joshua. Because Joshua is the one who is going to help the people make that transition. From hope to reality. He was going to take them into the promised land. But as he does that, he focuses on... What is this hope that is being attained by you today? And we see as Joshua, very similar to Jesus, and the ways of God and the ways of Jesus are, 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 you know, the, the analogies that we can draw are just amazing. So how important is a vision for the future? It's very important because it can keep you going. Now, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. He had to stay behind because he also specifically was not trusting God at one uh, current, uh, at one uh, event in his life. So the one who brought the promise of God to the people, to the Jews, would not be the one who would enter it. The new leader would be Joshua, who had shadowed Moses for all those decades in the wilderness. And Joshua is neither a warrior, I mean, Joshua is neither a prophet or a priest, but instead he's a warrior. And he's the one who would help them cross the Jordan, but he would have to do it without Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but in such a situation, I, I would, at least I would say, Moses would be a hard act to follow. A, a very hard act. In fact, one of the lessons I've learned is never follow an extremely popular person in ministry. Why? I'm different. Okay? I'm just me. And I, and I, I sort of like it after 67 years. So never do that. Now, it doesn't mean you follow abject failures, but just be careful. Well, he is the one to take them. And if it was me, I would be feeling a little insecure. Those are very big shoes that Moses was wearing. And maybe a little incompetent to do what Moses was not allowed to do. I'm going to finish his job. Oh, my gosh. So God encourages him in the first chapter of his book, named after Joshua. And he gives him both a vision, but he follows with a promise and then a challenge that he would need to get the task done ahead of him. Now, 
we, like, you know, we probably have discovered in a, in, in a very similar way that most times when a vision is fulfilled that God has given to us, that we find that we're the ones involved in it. So Joshua is told by God, this is the vision, and guess what? You're involved. I'm reading from Joshua chapter 1, where he sort of tells him the role that he will have. It begins with God speaking to him in verse 2, and this is, these are God's words. What a great start. Moses, my servant, is dead. That's verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Hmm. Now then, you and these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea, the Mediterranean, on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Now, this is getting very, uh, you know, it's confidence building. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great promise. Now, here's the challenge. Be strong and courageous. Now, you're going to hear that phrase, strong and courageous, those three words, about four or five times in just these first few verses. When you hear those words, you might be saying, why do you have to repeat them so often? Why do you have to keep saying them? Well, if I was Joshua, I'd have every reason not to be strong and courageous. I'd have every reason to wimp out. I would have every reason not to take it to the next step. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Not just courageous, but now very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night, being careful to observe all that it has taught you. For then you will be prosperous, and then you will have great success. That's the way I memorized it. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, I would say as he's speaking to, uh, uh, as he's speaking to Joshua, that this whole vision that he's giving him is a worthy one. And that's very important. Are your visions worthy? Are they worthy of fulfilling? You see, with Moses dead, you have to understand that Moses will not be the one who will be with you, but you'll have somebody else with you. And he's saying, just as I was with Moses, so Joshua, I will be with you. And I'm giving you the vision that Moses cannot fulfill. He set my people free, but you will deliver them to the promised land. And it begins with crossing the Jordan. Now, the Jordan isn't nearly as deep and wide as, as the Red Sea. But it's still wet. And it is still deep. And it's very clear that it was uh, this season was during the flood season when it's at the, the banks are at its very uh, uh, furthest extent. So 
it's not going to be easy. And God is encouraging him and saying, now, uh, leave how you're going to cross the Jordan to me. And believe me, you'll love it. Because the people are going to talk about this for the rest of their lives and from generation after generation. But it's not about getting across the Jordan. It's about taking the land. And most of the people there don't want to give it to you. So count on it not being given to you, but it's yours. So those who do not flee from you, count on defeating them. Now, let's draw the parallel. Jesus tells a... uh, 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 a parable to those who are listening to him about a king who is going to go away. And he promises that he will come back. And as he's making that, that parable and telling it, he says, now, when the king leaves, he looks at those who are his workers, and he says this, occupy until I come. Occupy until I come. A very similar thing is going on here. But instead of uh, you know, taking over new territory, what Jesus wants to do is to build his kingdom. And the kingdom of God that we are talking about here hasn't anything to do with places or with, or, or with location. It has to do with people. The kingdom of God are those who come under the rule of God in their lives. And it is growing and swelling and continues to do so. But Jesus is telling his disciples that this is the parable. You're to occupy this land until I return. It's a great offer that Jesus gives. How do you occupy? Well, you occupy by beginning with forgiveness for all of your sins through the death of Jesus that would come as he was talking to his disciples. How do you occupy? You begin a father-son relationship with God through what we call a spiritual adoption. How do you occupy? You occupy by gaining eternal life with the Father through the resurrection of Jesus because you will be resurrected like he was. So the followers of Jesus would claim that phrase, occupy, 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 as Jesus told them about the landowner who went away on business. And he tells his workers, occupy, take over, run it, live in the kingdom and make it stronger and larger through your work. And this is, the, this is a vision that God gives to us on this side of Jesus Christ. What the promised land was to the Jews, the human race is to us. Occupy, change humanity. Occupy, be influential in your world. Bring about the change that God so wants in individual lives. Now, You're going to do this, the the kingdom is going to expand and God's rule is going to increase by reaching more and more people. And there are many ways to do this. I want you to know it's not easy. It does not necessarily happen immediately. But it does mean that living among and influencing those who are not presently citizens of the kingdom of God is how we occupy. That they get to experience what we have through forgiveness, through adoption. And that new relationship with God the Father. And through a new resurrection that will give us eternal life after we die. Well, the vision is great, but how do we accomplish it? 
And I think Joshua would say, Lord, I, I really want to go in there and I really want to take over the land. And, and so there's a promise that's given to him in verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your lives. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will let, never leave you nor forsake you. So there's a promise given to Joshua for success through God's power. The Jewish army is about 600,000 strong. Now, they're not all well-trained warriors. They're not all SEAL Team 6 sort of proficiency. But they're all trained in some way. That is a huge army. More than just their size, they have the most current swords available to mankind. And bows and everything else. But the way they're going to win is not because of their weaponry or their huge numbers or their great training. The victory comes through God's presence. God is with them. And God's powerful presence is what he tells Joshua will be what will win the day. Now, the army can count on God's presence as they face the opposition. So the rest of the book of Joshua describes how this skillful warrior with his trained army take the land. But it begins with, first of all, the vision and then the promise. Joshua, I will be with you. Now you go forward to the, to the life of Jesus as he's talking to his followers of the day and he gives a very similar promise. He gives the promise that I will be with you forever. That he would send his spirit after he's gone and the spirit would be with us forever. I want you to know, I've, I've had a lot of classroom training in my life. I have attended classes, it would seem like forever. Uh, I, 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 I took doctorate level classes and, and more than that, even though I'm not a scholar, I get to read a lot of them in three different languages. So I can easily rely on my education, my experience, my expertise. You know, I've been doing this since 1974 full time. And, 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 and so when people come with tough questions, my memory, as flawed as it is, often the answers that I had way back then, I bring up now. I have pamphlets to give out and books that I can give people to read. But I also want you to know this. When I converse with people, especially about the matters of the kingdom of God, one thing I do is I pray. Lord, maybe there's something new that I'm supposed to say. Lord, would you lead me? Just like that song we sang this morning. Lord, would you lead me? Help me to say something that helps this person and help me to know that it came by your spirit. I pray. And the same way that, you know, we have that promise, I'm with you forever, Jesus is making it saying, I am going away, but I will send my spirit. And the same God who was with Joshua is the same God who will be with you. Now, uh, Joshua would be instructed how to conduct each exercise. And if you read the book of Joshua, there are about two times that he failed. That's a pretty good lifetime experience. But each of those times, he's not recorded as having asked God for direction. Each of those times, he just forgot. He was so confident in what he had done, or maybe so busy with all, you know, leading this great number of people, he just didn't do it. And so we are told 
that in Christ, God is with us forever and he's providing more than we could ever imagine. Rely on him. He's promised to be with you. Find the ways to be with him. So there's the vision, there's a promise, and now there's a challenge given to him. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written. Then you'll be prosperous and then you'll be successful. Relying on God was not the easy thing to do, but relying just on himself was Joshua's weakness. By the way, as you go into the followers of Jesus, you'll find that not relying on God was Peter's weakness. He was an expert at not relying on God. Uh, It's my weakness. I think we call that a human weakness. If the greats like Joshua and Peter, then the average ones like Jim, it will be seen throughout all of humanity. Reliance on God does not come easy. Reliance on God does not come naturally. But God challenges Joshua to rely less on his battle experience and more on God's instructions. And every battle that Joshua won was done a different way. God never does the same method, the same battle plan twice. There's always something different that he adds. So just when Joshua, like me, would say, you know, this worked so good last time, let's do it again. And God says, no, I've got something different or better. So he was given the law of Moses. And he was told, think about this. More than that, meditate on it. Meditate it on enough so you're thinking about it, that it's guiding your life. Joshua, let this be something that guides your life so much that you're doing everything that's in it. Because then you're going to find that you win the battles. Then your whole life will be prosperous and successful. And you will lead these people further into the promised land. And the the challenge that was given to Joshua about meditating on God's word is very similar to the challenge that's given to us. Um, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And he tells them that he's going away in John chapter 14. And then in John chapter 15, he looks at them and says, now I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he makes an analogy. I'm the vine, you are the branches, fruit comes off of the branches, not the vine. Fruit comes off the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm counting on you to bear the fruit. I'm counting on you to do that. As Jesus is saying this, he's let them know, I'm not going to be around, but I want you to understand that you're to be so near to me, so tied into me, that my words are to be so much a part of you that you find yourself thinking my thoughts and therefore doing the things that you know I would like you to do. And as you do that, similar to Joshua, you will find that you're bearing fruit. Now, I, I want to say there's a couple things in my life that, uh, th- that probably don't involve a whole lot of uh, vine and branches uh, type of living. And maybe there's a few things in your life too. Uh, however, I try to bring Jesus into them, and I'll tell you how. Uh, I struggle with technology. Hate it. 
I'd like to have an ox cart, I think, and get around town and something like that. I just find it difficult and, and so hard to, you know, this worked for so long. Why can't I continue to use it? And some of you techies look at me because they don't make it anymore. It no longer exists. Okay, so I get out my cell phone and I, you know, I try to do that. And I, uh, I bring Jesus into technology <laughs> that looks like the prayers of David. Curse the cell phone, Lord. <laughs> Take it and destroy it. End all electricity so we can go back to communicating by smoke signals and actually knocking on people's doors. I also found that, yes, when I'm sliding around on icy roads, boy, do I pray. But one of the things that has helped me on icy roads is experience. So I'm trying to say that there are some things in my life where I realize God's involved. But when it comes to the kingdom that he's talking about, the vision for my life, and the promises he has for my life, he's involved in everything. And what he's saying is, this is what I want from you. I want you to be uh, so attached to me that my word is being absorbed from the vine into the branch with the result that you are bearing fruit. That everything, all the nutrients you need are being absorbed from me through you. And as they go through the branches... You'll bear fruit. Now, how does that happen? Well, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So it's not just the fact that I've learned them, but I've translated them into how I live. So I'm absorbing the nutrients, but I'm also living the way they live, the way I'm told, and there is fruit that's being born. All the words of Jesus that we have that we rely on. All the commands of Jesus are found in just four simple accounts called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the Gospels. And if his followers live the way and, and become his friends that Jesus tells them to live the way that he tells them to become his friends, then he's saying you're going to be branches that bear a lot of fruit and fruit that last. The fruit that he's talking about is the same thing that Joshua was promised by God. He found success in taking God's word and meditating on God's word and doing God's word. We take Jesus' word and we absorb it into our lives and we flourish with fruit that lasts. It lasts in our lives and it lasts and influences the other lives around us. That those who see God's truth ruling in us. Let me draw an analogy here because... We are in our building, Jordan's Cross. We're here, okay? Um, but yesterday, the ladies had this wonderful uh, event, uh, and they tested our kitchen, and they tested our community room, and they tested our lobby, and, and, and everything tested well. Um, and, and so I counted 30 to 40, maybe even a little bit more than 40 women having lunch and getting to know each other. And, and of course, I'm always near the kitchen. So I was in the kitchen and some of the ladies that I didn't know were introducing themselves to me. And it was a delightful time. And, and some of them, I, well, I just want you to know this. Among all the visitors who were there, I didn't hear one complaint about our facility, especially those who had visited our old one. I didn't hear one complaint. But here's sort of a, 
you might say, a sideways compliment. Are you sure it's big enough? Are you sure you have enough parking? Those were the things I was hearing. And I thought, wow, gee, Lord. And, and then a couple were saying, oh, this is going to be filled. There's just no doubt in my mind it's going to be filled. Now, I find all of those comments from people that don't know me very affirming. They're, they're sort of giving their picture of the future, the vision of what's going to happen. I just want you to know it doesn't happen because someone tells us it's going to happen. It happens because God bears fruit that lasts. It happens because God does a work in you. Now, I have no doubt that people will want to see this facility and sit in it. I, they might even sit in it two or three times. That's not fruit that lasts. At least by my definition and by, I think, Jesus' definition. That's not the fruit that he's talking about. So the transition that you have to make is to understand that this is how Jesus has said his ways work. And the opposite, not the opposite, but a very well-intentioned and very cultural means it's new, it's great, let's try it. You see the difference? One has no connection to interaction with other people. It's a place. Jesus' vision says, no, it's going to be through me flowing through you and you flowing into others so it'll be fruit that lasts. So I imagine that many will come from the community next Saturday at our open house and others to the inaugural worship service on Sunday if the weather's good, but who knows, okay? We don't know. I have no idea what will happen in this building next weekend or the numbers who will be attend here uh, for that weekend. But if, if this was, you know, if this is what Joshua heard from God, then he would be just a warrior. If this is what the, um, the apostles would have heard because they saw so many coming, then they could have sat back and say, it doesn't involve me. I'm just watching Jesus do his thing. But Jesus' followers are told that you want fruit that lasts. What is fruit that lasts? Let me just give two ideas. Fruit that lasts are those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, just don't go to church. Um, for the first several years of my life as a, as a church attender, I was still trying to figure out what faith was all about. I, um, I bought a Bible. And I went to a church where people brought their Bibles. And uh, then I saw that we didn't have these, okay? So you had to either reach forward or open your own Bible. And everybody else had a Bible that was usually black. So I bought a navy blue one, okay? Uh, and as I opened it to a modern translation and what the pastor would be reading or someone would be reading up front, had nothing, I just couldn't follow. Um, I owned a Bible. I attended church. Um, 
But nobody would have said at that time that I was fruit that would last. Through that process, I did place my faith in Jesus Christ. I did surround myself with new Christians or other Christians who helped me along. They weren't the wisest in the world, but, but they, they sort of surrounded me. And so many things from the past life were not done in this new life. Why? Uh, because I had different people around me. And uh, I was baptized. And, and I find myself eventually actually reading the word of God and absorbing what Jesus was saying. This is what we're looking for. We're looking for fruit that lasts by people placing their trust in Jesus Christ and by people saying, that's the way I'm going to go for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a follower, not a fan. Now, I want them more than to meet a, a new facility. I want them, as they come, to meet you. People like you, who put your arms around them, who will take them out to lunch, who will strike up a relationship with them, and they will let the life of Jesus Christ flowing through you into them. That is the fruit that lasts. That is the, you might say, what Joshua was told to do. To go into the kingdom and to make it theirs. And the fruit that lasts means a change, transformed life. Let's not settle for anything less. Let's pray. Lord, this building is a wonderful tool. It is just, I, I just, I'm just enjoying it so much. Thank you. I'm aware that many people have given many hours, especially volunteers from this church, to do it. But it's still a tool. It does not and cannot bear fruit that lasts. But we can. And Lord, the prize, the vision, is that your word and your people and your spirit working together would bring about faith in Christ and change lives. Let us never lose that vision. And let us never also lose the fact that you have promised you want to do this and you're doing it around the world and you want to do it here. And never let us lose the challenge that you want to do it in us. Lord, right now, I would pray for the person considering what it means to place faith in Jesus Christ and also to follow Jesus Christ. This message was meant for followers. But I pray for that person. May they be motivated by who you want them to be through faith in Christ. And we ask this now, in Jesus' name, God's people said,